This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. New York State passed a law recently allowing abortions up to the time of birth. The new law was cheered by pro-abortion forces that celebrated by lighting up the One World Trade Center building in pink. National Review senior writer David French wrote an article titled, It's Time for the Truth About Late-Term Abortions. Mr. French talks about his article with me as my guest on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. A bill outlawing dilation and evacuation abortions passed the North Dakota House of Representatives on Thursday. The practice is the most common type of abortion performed in the second trimester. After the January 31st House vote, which was 78 to 13, the bill proceeds to the state Senate and then on to the governor. Missouri lawmakers are again debating a proposal requiring the parents of a daughter younger than 18 seeking an abortion to notify the other custodial parent or guardian of the procedure. The legislation, which has failed to advance five previous times, is among at least one dozen abortion-related measures pending in the Republican-led legislature this year. An Alabama law banning dismemberment abortions received the support of 21 states this week as Alabama leaders asked the U.S. Supreme Court to uphold the law. On Monday, Alabama Attorney General Stephen Marshall said 21 states filed amicus curiae briefs in favor of the pro-life law, this according to the Gadsden Times. Alabama lawmakers enacted the Unborn Child Protection from Dismemberment Act to ban the procedure in 2016, but two abortion businesses, the West Alabama Woman's Center in Tuscaloosa and the Alabama Woman's Center in Huntsville, sued to stop it. The ACLU was also involved in the case. New Jersey will be the second state to mandate that middle and high school students learn about LGBTQ contributions. Democratic Governor Phil Murphy signed the Senate Bill 1569, which requires schools to adopt curriculums that accurately portray political, economic, and social contributions by persons with disability and gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people. California was the first state to require addressing LBGTQ issues in school curriculums through the Fair Education Act, which was signed July 2011 and enacted in 2012. The University of Iowa admitted in court Friday that it had placed a watch list of 32 groups, all religious, that was on its probationary status list. That list came to light in the Blink versus University of Iowa case where the university kicked business leaders in Christ off campus for requiring its leaders to affirm and follow its faith. The disclosure was made in response to the court's demand that the university identify all groups it had deregistered late last year and the reasons why. The university's list of the 579 registered student groups on campus highlights only the names of Jewish, Muslim, Sikh, Christian, and other religious student groups, placing them on probationary status. Yet while these religious groups were targeted, the university admitted that it still grants full registered status to dozens of secular groups which explicitly restrict or control access to leadership or membership based on race, national origin, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and U.S. military service. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. 
Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Este é Notícias Luteranas pelo Mundo. This is Roll Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kip Allen, World Lutheran News Digest host. My guest today is Mr. David French, who's a senior writer for National Review. Mr. French, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I, uh, as you said, I'm a senior writer at National Review, a senior fellow at the National Review Institute. Um, I'm a a lawyer. I've been uh, practicing. Well, I'm now I'm, I'm writing full time, but for many years practiced constitutional law with an emphasis on the First Amendment work, defending religious liberty and free speech. Uh, I'm a husband and a dad of three, and uh, live in Tennessee. Beautiful Tennessee, the Volunteer State. Yes, absolutely. Uh, beautiful Tennessee but fallen on hard times in college football. <laughs> my, my oldest is a uh, sophomore at UT, and so I hear the lamentations all the time. Okay, I understand. Uh, Mr. French, we have seen in uh, recent weeks uh, a couple of, to my mind, horrifying developments. Uh, New York State has, uh, has just now uh, basically allowed abortion up until the time of birth. Uh, Virginia almost tried it, and there's some other states doing it as well. You wrote an article for the corner section of National Review that's titled, It's Time for the Truth About Late-Term Abortions. What is the truth? Yeah, the truth is uh, quite a bit different from what we're told. One of the things that comes up when you have these arguments about late-term abortions and bans on uh, later-term abortions, abortions after 20 weeks, for example, is you're told, how dare you do that, because what's really happening in those late-term abortions is that women are dealing with extreme birth defects or extreme health problems. Uh, nobody gets those abortions unless they have extreme health problems or there are extreme birth defects. Well, it's interesting that the Guttmacher Institute, which is a pro-abortion uh, research institute, a pro-abortion rights research institute, actually researched this issue and found that most women who receive later-term abortions don't do so because of fetal abnormalities or because of risk to the life of the mother. They do so because they are, for multiple reasons, including conflict with a spouse or a boyfriend. They just found out about the pregnancy. There are many, many reasons. There are problems with drug abuse or alcohol abuse. And in those circumstances, women are choosing these late-term abortions, not because of a health crisis, not because of a crisis with the baby. 
Well, I understand that good markers actually saying that the uh, that percentage that are doing that for for reasons that are unrelated to the uh, possible deformity or illness of the of the baby is up to eighty percent. Yes, that's right. That's right. About eighty percent of the sample are people who chose another who were choosing abortion for another reason, and so. And some of them, you know, if you read the actually un- actual underlying Guttmacher paper, which I did, you will see that, you know, far from this being like this anguish decision that, that women are engaging in, well, some of them, of course, it's an anguish decision, but some of them are simply saying, well, I, I found out that I was pregnant uh, later in the term, and it was a very easy decision, or it was an easy decision. And so there's just misinformation out there. Some of these, some of these women are actually making a frivolous choice to engage, to have a late-term abortion. I mean, this is a real thing. It actually does happen. So I, I think it's very important to get the truth out there about the actual decisions being made to, to have late-term abortions, as opposed to sort of the propaganda about those decisions. Well, another thing I wanted to bring up is you know, how common it is. Now, you know, there's the old saying, there are, there are lies, damned lies, and statistics. And uh, one statistic that's brought up, uh, I believe the CDC, says that uh, only 1.3% of abortions occur after week 21. However, given the number of total abortions in the country per year, more than 600, uh, 638,000 according to the CDC, we're talking a minimum of 8,000 late-term abortions. Yes, yes and there's, uh, there's gut marker data, data that indicates that it may be as many as twelve or 13,000 late-term abortions. And to, Put that in perspective. In the in the years in which these uh, this study the study was indicated, that number of twelve to thirteen thousand was entirely comparable to the number of gun homicides in this country. So it's not a small, insignificant number of people. Every life is precious, of course, but this is also an awful lot of lives. So it, it, it's more common than we're led to believe. Especially when you take into account that eighty percent mark that the Goodmacher says so that's that's done for non health reasons. Exactly. So that means, you know, in any given year, you're looking at several thousand, maybe even up to eight to nine thousand abortions that are uh, late-term abortions that are done for reasons not related to maternal health or to the baby's health. Now, I've had some debates with people about uh, early uh, first trimester abortion. Now, the, the position of the LCMS, in my personal position, is that life begins at conception. And that's that's what I believe. That's what my church teaches. This is this is what I know. But I see the argument that other people say that well, the baby is not viable up until a particular time. Therefore, it is not truly a baby or human. Okay, I see the argument. I don't buy it, but I see the argument. But late term abortion when the baby is viable, how on earth can anyone support that? Right, and because what you have to realize when you're talking about abortion of a viable baby is that uh, essentially what's happening is the, the mother and the doctor are saying, even in spite of the fact that we know that there are, that there are families eager to adopt infants, eager to adopt, in line to adopt infants, that essentially what we're going to say is we're going to take this, this baby that could live outside the womb, that could be raised by a family, and just... Going, we're just going to kill it, kill it, rather than give it access to another family. And that strikes me as particularly cruel, and, and I think it strikes a lot of people as particularly cruel, and it's one of the reasons, I think, why late-term abortion 
is so disfavored by the public. Uh, only 18% of Democrats believe that third trimester abortion should be generally legal. Only 18% of Democrats. Uh, when you're talking about the public at large, only 13% believe that late-term abortion should be generally legal. And that's according to Gallup polling. So what we're looking at here is a, a pr- procedure that even as people don't necessarily think deeply about abortion or are more sympathetic to it, the smaller the baby is in the womb or the less viable it is, when you're talking about a fully formed, fully developed infant, there is very little public appetite for late-term abortion. I noticed that uh, you were personally criticized by uh, New York Times columnist uh, uh, Michelle Goldberg, who says that you were showing contempt for women. Right. <laughs> right. I don't follow her logic on this. <laughs> well, I think the logic is that by saying that there are women who have these abortions for frivolous reasons, I was showing contempt by not crediting their, their sort of the good faith or the, the anguish of the decision. And so what I was trying to say is, look, I'm just trying to bring the facts here. And the facts are that, you know, look, women are people, too. And there are people, men and women, who make bad decisions for bad reasons. And one of the roles of the law is to restrain the worst impulses of human beings, especially when those worst impulses invade the rights, much less the right to life, of another human being. So it's not expressing contempt for women to say that there are women who seek frivolous late-term abortions. It's expressing an accurate view of human nature. And so that's what I was trying to say in response to Michelle was, look, the facts are that in later-term abortions, most women are not getting them for fetal abnorm- by reason of fetal abnormality or, or risk to the life of the mother. The facts are that they get them for very different reasons, reasons that the American people rightly do not support, and this needs to be known. Another thing that struck me that... Uh Again, to me, it's somewhat horrifying. I'm looking at Virginia Governor Northam, where he came out and basically, he didn't basically say, he actually said that birth, that the children who are born alive could be left to die. And uh, he has doubled down on that. But then there's a 35-year-old yearbook picture of him in blackface. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly the Democrats are all up in arms about... The, about how he dressed in blackface 35 years ago, even though he's, had, to my knowledge, has not had any connection with the racist incident in the last 35 years. But when he came out and called for the death of, of babies who are born, they're silent. What is going on? Yeah, well, uh, when you figure it out, you tell me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, the, the, the fact of the matter is, uh, right now, the Democratic Party, is completely captured by the most extreme end of the pro-abortion coalition. It does not want to make Planned Parenthood or NARAL angry. And so it actually adopting positions that are to the left of most Democrats and are not backing away, not backing down, not giving one single inch. But there's been some smarter commentators who are now saying that the Northam's comments, uh, the New York law, uh, that has protected a right to an abortion up through the entire length of the pregnancy, those are now backfiring on Democrats. Their single-minded dedication to a position that even most of their own constituents don't agree with is hurting them, as it should hurt them, as it should. I mean, look, the, the blackface incident and the Klan incident should, should hurt Northam. I'm not sure if it's 
enough to cause him to resign. I think it would be if he's, he did it and he's lying about it now, which is entirely possible because he first said he did it and then now said he didn't do it, but he did do something at a different incident. It's all very weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so all of these things are bad, but the idea that going out there and essentially saying, you know, once you deliver a baby, a discussion should ensue. What discussion? What, what, what's the discussion? The discussion should be quite simply, what are the measures that we take to preserve this baby's life, period? Well, we saw a recent incident where uh, Senator Ben Sass in Nebraska called for a unanimous uh, uh, decision on the part of the Senate saying, you know, babies born alive should stay alive. And uh, this was this was killed by the Democrats. Right. Uh, you know, again, this has become this argument in this debate has become a symbol. It's become a symbol less than it has become about substance. Um you know, the Democrats are, are at this point, there, there's, a, there's a useful lesson that people can learn about politics. And it is quite simply that the people who care the most about a particular issue always set the agenda on that issue. Whether it's gun control, whether it is abortion, whether it's religious liberty, free trade, you name it. The people who care the most about that issue on either side of the spectrum Set the, set the tone and set the agenda. And on the Democratic side, the people who care the most about the abortion issue, who raise their voices about the abortion issue, are their most extreme voices. Set the agenda. Why has that happened? I mean, when the, obviously, you know, the Democrats have had in their party platform for years a uh, pro-choice, pro-abortion plank. But it was always safe, legal, and rare. Now, I mean, it, it's just gone completely I, would, I think the, the, the term most people would use is bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are people who, you know, there, there's literally a move not too long ago to, quote, shout your abortion. Yes. Declare your, your pride that you'd had an abortion. And again, part of this is, so what, what you, when, when you're analyzing uh, po- current politics, you always have to ask two questions. What is the position that I'm taking, and who does it make angry? Okay. And so if you're taking a position that you maybe when push, when push comes to shove, it's not something that you really care a huge amount about. You know that there are other issues that are more important, but it ticks off all the right people. Then you see people adapting those positions just out of, uh, out of an oppositional spirit. This is the negative polarization that is capturing our country. And the far uh, left edge of the Democratic Party is very secular, especially white Democrats, very hostile to religious conservatives, very committed to abortion rights. And so the idea that they would give one millimeter, not just on a right that they care a lot about, but in response to the hated, hated uh, religious conservative movement, um, that tells you part of the zeal, because... Not only is it a position that, to greater and lesser degrees, they passionately believe in, by adapting the position, they are also infuriating and alienating a population they really despise. And so that's sort of a, a, the formula in modern politics for the kind of extremism we see all the time. 
it's a uh, it's an interesting interesting evolution. I remember uh, uh, years ago in the early in the early stages of the uh, pro life movement. Some of the pro-life people were saying, you know where this is going to lead? It's going to lead all the way up to, to birth and infanticide. And everybody said, no, 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 no. <laughs> and we're there. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and, and the thing is, that there's been sort of an, uh, pro, uh, the abortion rights movement has sort of advanced and retreated and then advanced again. I think that if you look at the Roe framework and you, and you look at the initial cultural push on abortion, we can't forget that even the, even the Southern Baptist Convention at the time was for Roe, uh, or was for legal abortion in certain circumstances, there was huge cultural momentum behind abortion. And so the idea, the, if you talk to someone in the 1970s, they may have said, you know, it's just a few years from sort of an uncontroversial abortion on demand. But then there was a huge pro-life backlash, including a backlash that, for example, turned the heart of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and then now there's a, a backlash to the backlash. So it's an ebb and flow. Uh, but one thing that is encouraging throughout all of this is that even though the American population is increasing, the number of abortions occurring in the United States is decreasing. Still, it's uh, in the hundreds of thousands, unfortunately. Uh, it's way too many. Yeah. But if you had asked somebody in the 1980s that by Will there be hundreds of thousands of fewer abortions in 2018 than there were, say, in 1986? Uh, They would have been surprised by that. And interestingly, the number of abortions committed by Planned Parenthood has gone up, as has their revenues. Correct. But that's that's a topic for another day. But the the latest developments of the uh, late-term abortions, up up till and including birth— could we perhaps have reached a tipping point here? I mean, the people now, admittedly, the, the people I associate with are in the pro-life, are in the pro-life camp. But this is such a huge sea change from what the pro-abortion groups have been saying before. Is this perhaps a tipping point? Well, let me put it this way: this is not this is not the ground on which the pro-choice I and mean, the pro-abortion rights movement wants to fight. So long as the fight stays here, they're, they're going to lose, and they're losing. As far as the tipping point on the issue overall, I don't know about that, because there are other areas where abortion is more popularly accepted and maybe even abortion rights are more popularly supported. So where, say, the Planned Parenthood argument tends to grow stronger is if they say, well, look, this abortion regulation is going to mean that every abortion clinic in, in, these, in, this, in the state closes. That's when they tend to win more people to their side. They tend to lose people when they, uh, like they have in the last three weeks, when they have been focusing so much on and doubling down so publicly on late-term abortions. Yeah, that, they, they really seem to be doubling down on this. Not just the uh, just not just the regular uh, the usual suspects with the uh, pro-abortion side, but uh, mainstream Democrats are either being are either supporting it or seem to be uh, silent on the issue. Well, what I would say is um, Democratic politicians, uh, there are some who are very, very, very zealous about abortion rights. No doubt about that. Very zealous about abortion rights. But there are an awful lot who, quite frankly, don't care about the issue all that much, but they also know that the people who really do care about the issue uh, can set the course of their political careers. 
And so there's an awful lot of people who just kind of acquiesce to this direction of the Democratic Party. They, they, have, uh, they have said that, you know, they have, by their actions, refused to stand in the way. Uh, maybe they vocalize or mouth some degree of agreement with uh, the extreme Democratic position. But I'd say if you're looking at Democratic politicians more broadly, the idea that all of them are zealously committed to legal late-term abortion up, right up to birth, I think it's probably wrong, but the idea that they're willing to take on their base over it is also, the idea that many of them would take on their base over it is, is also probably wrong. Probably, uh, drawing an analogy might be to say gun control with the, uh, with the Republicans. Yes, that would, be, uh, that would be an analogy, although I would say that there is even maybe a little bit more room on the GOP side on gun control, in, in part because I think the NRA is a little bit more flexible on gun control. To take uh, a couple of examples, you know, the NRA has supported bump stock bans in the aftermath of Las Vegas shooting, has supported certain kinds of what are called red flag laws or gun violence restraining orders, limited orders where a person who has exhibited evidence that they're violent can have their guns seized temporarily uh, under a process where there's due process. So these are things that where the NRA has demonstrated no, 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 we're not in any way, you know, we're not, uh, we're not an extremist organization. We like where the law generally is. We're in favor of maybe some slight modifications. But what we have here is, you know, the abortion rights movement is trying to make it work substantial changes in the law in very blue states that substantially liberalize abortion laws. And up to, you know, the, the, the links that we've seen recently define the large majority of Democrats. So I think that that's maybe a little bit different. Well, it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen in the not-too-distant future. Uh, a lot of the states, uh, the blue states I know, are preparing for, for perhaps an overturn of Roe v. Wade by actually putting abortion in their state constitutions. Right. So we'll see what happens. Mr. French, I want to thank you so much for setting, shedding some light on the situation. And, uh, you know, there's the old Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. <laughs> <laughs> we we. We do indeed. We do indeed. Well, thank you very much, sir, and keep up the work. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.